welcome to week three of our series, Anatomy of a Disciple. Um, Jesus gave us this command in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18 19. He said, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And we've talked about this. It's hard to make something that you don't know what it looks like. And I believe the church has done a poor job at explaining exactly what a disciple looks like. I'm about to make a, and I was going to make this later on, but I might as well offend some people right at the top uh, to, to get out of the way. That way, maybe by the end you can repent. And, you know, just because you prayed a prayer to accept Jesus in your heart does not make you a disciple. Are you hearing me? Just because you said, Jesus, forgive me for my sin, that's an important part. But Jesus said, make disciples. Disciples. And if I could think of one thing the church has been missing for a while, it's disciples. Real disciples. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, in week one, we looked at, at these two sets of brothers. And I'm, not, I'm just going to give you a brief rundown in case you missed it. Uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were fishermen by trade. Why were they fishermen by trade? They, they weren't the best of the best. They couldn't make it out through the third level of education. So, uh, but Jesus shows up and says, hey, come follow me. What do they do? They leave everything and follow Jesus. And why would they do that? I don't have time to go back into that, but you can. Uh, you can go on and listen to whatever uh, form you live to a podcast. We're on there under Watts Bar Community Church, or you can go to our YouTube channel, WBCC TV, and watch those and, and get more about it. Uh, last week, we talked Be Like. We looked at a commercial that ran in the peak of Michael Jordan's career, and, and the, the message in that commercial in that ad could be summed up in three words. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. And and the question that was subtly being asked was this, who do you want to be like? Because if you want to be like Mike, drink Gatorade. If you want to be like Mike, who are you being like? And And that's the question that everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you have to answer, who do you want to be like? Because whether you realize it or not, You are a disciple of something or someone. Whether you realize it or not, we all are. And while I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan, uh, I do consider him one of the greatest players. I cannot build my life to be like Mike. If you watch his documentary, there are several things you don't don't want to model your life after when it comes to Michael Jordan. I need something more solid. I need something more established. I I need something more life-changing to build my life. I need something that's a firm foundation, as we sang in in, in the song. And so uh, the essence of the series is to understand this. Being a disciple is not just praying a prayer. It's not just knowing some facts about who Jesus was. Uh, Being a disciple is all about becoming like Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi, and the goal of every disciple of their rabbi was to become just like them. We talked about this in week one, how how they say a a disciple in that culture, if their rabbi walked with a limp, 
they were known to whether they had an injury or not to walk with a limp so they could look just like their rabbi. They want to be just like their rabbi. That's the goal of every disciple. And also to have this said about you. May you be covered in the... Oh, see, y'all listening? Make me so proud of your rabbi. Um, Acts 4 last week, we saw the biggest compliment that as a follower of Jesus could ever be given to you. It was given to Peter and John. Uh, 5,000 5, points for anybody remembers what that compliment was. 5,000 points on the line. So, no, so close, so close, Gina. This was it in Acts 4, 13. Oh, it worked. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that what? That's the best compliment a follower of Jesus could ever been paid. I, I don't know. They've been with Jesus. The passion says it like this. Uh, they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. You could not have paid Peter and John a higher compliment when they said these. Listen, before that, they had called them idiots. When you, when you do the study, said they were unschooled. The Greek word is idiotis, meaning idiots. They recognized these guys were in school. They were idiots, yet they've been with Jesus. So that should give hope for everybody in here right now. Jesus can educate us idiots and use us. Some of y'all are offended at that. But anyway, listen, I don't know about you. I want that to be said about me. I can tell Kelly's been with Jesus. He doesn't talk like he used to. He doesn't respond like he used to. He, he, he loves people the way Jesus loves people. He shows grace. He, the way he speaks to people. Uh, look at the effect Jesus had on his life by him spending time with him. Anybody else want that? Come on, anybody. See, see here's the thing. There is nothing. This is why there's a big difference between someone who says a prayer and a disciple. Because there is nothing convenient about actually following Jesus and being a disciple. Nothing. Uh, it demands uh, for us to climb with Jesus. When we become a disciple, it, it demands that. It demands, get this, it demands we put aside our preferences. It demands that we put aside, well, Kelly, come on, the Bible's ancient. Uh, I don't believe that stands. It, it, no, you've got to put that aside. When you're a disciple of Jesus, it, it demands that we put away our fears. Come on. It demands us to leave the crowd and climb. And if you weren't here last week, listen to that and you'll understand the climb analogy. But when we climb, you may remember what it said they, that, that Jesus, they climbed, they were his what? Climbing companions. His companions sitting at his feet, learning from him, soaking all that he is in. His character, when we climb with Jesus, we find this, our character, his character influences our character. His heart becomes our heart. How he loves people becomes how we love people. How he sees people, how he responds to stress, worry, bad situation becomes a template for how we are to respond. That's climbing. Become a disciple of Jesus. 
As I said earlier, it isn't about knowing the right lingo, knowing the right songs, dressing a certain way. It's about transformation from the inside out. That's what it means. Today we're going to start where Jesus calls his first 12 disciples. We'll be in Mark chapter 3 if you've got a Bible want to turn there. Uh, if not, I'm going to bring it up on the, the screen. So we'll start with verse 13 here. I'm going to get a drink of water while y'all turn. If you've got a Bible, just make the sound like it's turning. That, they need to offer that in the Bible app, doesn't it? Where, hey, sound effect for turning pages. Verse 13 of Mark 3. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain called out the ones he wanted to go with him. They came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them, called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Those are the original 12. Look at verse 14 again. Then he appointed 12 of them, and he called them what? Apostles. The word apostle literally means sent ones. Sent ones. He sent them all out. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago about how a respected rabbi never went recruiting. Yet Jesus was constantly recruiting. Jesus was constantly reaching out, developing, empowering, nurturing. He was sending them and resending them. He sent those 12 out. In Luke 10, you see where Jesus sends out 72 more disciples. 72 more. Here's what I love about this and what gives me hope for me. None of the original 12, none of the 72 were fully mature in their walk with Jesus. Come on. None of the ones he sent out, the 12 or the 72, were perfect. They weren't perfect in their theology, in their methodology, their approach to people. We see them blow it and get it wrong. Yet Jesus sent them. Why? Anybody here better when you learn something at a, you're better a hands-on learner? That's me. Directions seem to confuse me. But put my hands on it, I can learn. Well, I don't think this is necessarily the best idea, but Jesus thinks it is for sending out disciples. Why would he do that? I think 10 years ago when Jesus began to to say, hey, I want to send two people that are probably the least qualified to pastor a church. Two people that still blow it. Two people that are so imperfect. Hey, yeah, they're perfect for Watts Bar Community Church. Go get them. Why? Because Jesus understood this. Sometimes in the field training is the best way to learn. And so Jesus sends out these imperfect people, these people that don't have it together. And I love this. In Luke 10, it says the 72 came back and they were blown away at the power of God that flowed through them at the mention of Jesus. And they, verse 8 says, they say this, Lord, even the demons obey us at your name. And Jesus was like, I told you guys, I believe in you. 
I, that's why I sent you out. I, you didn't think you could do it? Guess what? You can. But then he said, hold up, though. Don't get excited over the demons bowing to, your, to my name. If you're getting excited over that, you're getting excited over the wrong way. He says, here's what you ought to get excited about. I love the way the Passion says it. Says this, however, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. That's why. Here's what Jesus was saying. He's letting his disciples know, hey, my top priority isn't that demons bow to me. My top priority is people coming to know me through a relationship. That's my top priority, that the good news would redirect people's lives would change their lives. That's my priority. Jesus invited them to climb. Well, I said this last week, you know, you, you don't get to the top of a mountain or top of a hill and wonder, well, how in the world did I get here? It don't happen by accident. And discipleship doesn't happen just by accident. If you take taking notes with me, we're going to talk about a little bit of discipleship. Here's the first point. Discipleship starts with the awareness that Jesus chose you and that Jesus wants you. That's where discipleship starts. Uh, con- contrary to popular belief, I've said this before, you didn't find God. God wasn't lost. You were lost and God found you. God found you. He chose you. You know how he found you? He sent out a rescue party by the name of his son, Jesus. That's how, and that, that's how much he loves you, by the way. And he, that's why, well, why would Jesus Kelly want me to be his disciple? You ever thought this? I'm, I'm a mess, man. I'm jacked up. I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life. I've not been the most faithful when it comes to this Christian thing. I hear you and believe me, I understand those thoughts. And I believe that's why we get a close-up look in some of the men's life that Jesus originally chose. I mean, verses 16 through 19, uh, we get the names of the original 12. uh, That Jesus, this is important you understand this. Jesus chose these people. It's not like Jesus chose them and then later down the line thought, I'd have never chose you if I'd known that about you. But here's something, Andrew. Interesting side note about Andrew. He may have been the first one to follow Jesus. Anybody know that? Uh, I mean, in John 1, 35 through 40, talks about John, John the Baptist standing there with two of his disciples. Jesus walks by and John looks at Jesus and says, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. Then it says that John's two disciples that were with him began to follow Jesus. Check this out. It's so cool for John 1, 37. It says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. When John pointed out the Lamb of God, his disciples left him and began to follow Jesus. Jump down to verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Then look what Andrew did. Verse 41. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. I love this. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. 
but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Simon's name wouldn't be changed to Peter till later on. What Jesus was doing, he's looking at Peter and says, I know what your name is, but I see so much in you that you don't even see in yourself. There's so much greatness in you. Here's what your name's going to be, Peter, meaning rock. Right now, you're you tossed by the wind, man. You're like a branch. But that's not going to be you when you decide to truly follow me and be discipled. You're going to be a rock, I'm telling you. Here's something interesting, uh, another interesting about this story. Again, who went and introduced Simon Peter to Jesus? Who? Andrew. Andrew. Andrew would spend most of his life, though, in the background of his more famous brother, Simon Peter. But here's what I love about Andrew. Andrew didn't mind being in the background. He was, as long as he was in the presence of Jesus, he didn't have to have the, the, he didn't have to have the notoriety. He didn't have to have his name mentioned. In fact, when Andrew was one, the one that when Jesus told him, hey, to feed the crowd of 5,000, not counting women and children, Andrew's one that went and found the kid that had the lunch sack and brought it to Jesus. And yet, even though Andrew wouldn't become a Simon Peter, Jesus knew what he wanted when he chose Andrew. Jesus chose Andrew. He wanted Andrew. He called him, and he used Andrew in that miracle that day. Let me ask you, do you ever feel overlooked? you ever feel like you're the one that's behind the scenes, that, that you're unappreciated or maybe even neglected at times? If so, Jesus wants you. Jesus wants, chooses you. What about Peter? Come on, this guy reminds me of myself way too much. Peter had the habit of not keeping his mouth shut. Peter had the habit of, of, of saying stuff before he ran it through his mind, brain, and filter. Come on, anybody, now's not the time to nudge your spouse. Peter wasn't always a hero in the faith. He wasn't always the, peer, the picture of courage and faithfulness. In fact, there are aspects of his life that remind me way too much of Kelly Goins. What? He slept when Jesus asked him to pray. Jesus says, hey, pray with me. What does Peter do? He falls asleep. He opened his mouth when he should have kept it shut. He lost his cool and physically went after someone. Fear got the best of him. And he denied Christ. And it reminds me of me. Some of the things I've done. But yet despite his inconsistency, despite his failures, Jesus still wanted and chose Peter. Remember when when Jesus met Peter, his name wasn't Peter. Jesus would later give him that name. And while to us giving someone a nickname or shortening their name to something, that's not a big deal. But understanding the Jewish culture and that mindset, when you gave someone a name, you were giving them purpose. You were giving them meaning. And while to us that's not a big deal, you were acknowledging their existence. It's interesting what can happen to a person when Jesus changes their name and that person buys into who Jesus says they are. I mean, Peter denies Jesus, loses his cool. 
Yeah, afterwards, after that, Peter went from coward, hot-headed, to saying whatever, wanting to be being part of Jesus' inner circle of friends. And after Jesus' resurrection, he became one of the main leaders of the first century church. He became someone that we're talking about over 2,000 years later. Hmm. Does Simon Peter remind yourself of you? Are you prone to failure? Are you prone to speaking when you should be quiet? Are you fearful at times to acknowledge who Jesus is in your life? Well, Peter is a reminder that to us that our failures, our shortcomings, our past, none of those things disqualifies us from being wanted, chosen, and used by God. Yes. Amen. What about James and John? Jesus nicknamed them Sons of Thunder. Great name for a motorcycle gang. <laughs> Terrible name for a follower of Jesus. Who are those guys? Uh, James and John, or I like to call them Sons of Thunder, always losing their cool. Come on. I mean, how bad could it have been, Kelly? One of my favorite stories is when, when uh, on one occasion, they show up in this Samaritan village, and they weren't as welcoming to Jesus as James thought they should have been. And so James goes to Jesus, look at Luke 9, 54. He says, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven to burn them up? Come on, if we did that today, there would be a mass fire in this house. Let's go. On another occasion, uh, in Mark 9, John goes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, we saw some people using your name to cast out demons. We told them to stop because they're not part of our group. And Jesus is like, Are you kidding me? If they're not speaking against this, they're for us. And then one of my favorite things about James and John in Mark 10, they get their mother to go to Jesus and get their mother to ask Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, will you allow my son, one to sit on your left and one to sit on your right? I mean, come on, mama's bored to the extreme. Maybe that's why they had bad tempers because they were such mamas. Never mind. Yeah, I know. I mean, when you look at their life through James, John, does it strike a chord with you? Do you struggle with your anger at times? Does your temper ever get the best of you? Do you have a history of being called a wild child because nobody ever knows what you're going to do? If so, the fact that Jesus wanted, chose, used James and John lets us know Jesus wants, chooses, and wants to choose you too. Man. What about some of y'all? See, that's all right. I, you all you be getting more excited about the fact because I know some of y'all. I wouldn't have chose you for my team. I'm just joking. Just kidding. What about, what about Matthew the tax collector? They were considered outcasts to their own people. Traitors to their own people. In fact, they, they weren't in. Tax collectors didn't even get lumped in with sinners. They, they would say the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. They were considered worse, kind of like today. They were considered worse than sinners. Tax collectors, no. Okay. But that was Matthew. Have you ever felt like an outcast? Have you ever been considered beyond hope or redemption even by your own people? 
you have a past that you're not particularly proud of. Well, Matthew reminds us that Jesus chooses the outcasts, the people with history that they're not proud of. What about Simon the Zealot? Apparently, Simon was, was a member, uh, one-time member of a political party known as the Zealots. Here's what I find interesting, though, when Jesus chose people. Simon was on the opposite end of the political spectrum than Matthew. See, Zealots were a political party that wanted to overthrow Rome with violence. Matthew had pretty much joined forces with Rome to make money off his own people. Outside of Jesus... Matthew and Simon would never have been in the same room, much less sitting at the same table. And let me give you a little side note that I want to add. This is not extra. If if you are more known by your political opinions and your political beliefs than you are by the love and grace of Jesus, you might want to reevaluate yourself as a disciple. Simon and Matthew, man, they're a reminder that Jesus believes uh, that, that different political parties, cultures, ethnicities, families of origin, people with different pasts that because of grace, they can sit at the same table. What about Thomas? What's Thomas's nickname? How would you like to have that attached to you the rest of your life? Doubting Thomas. That's how we re- refer him. Do, do you struggle with doubt? I do at times. Do do you find yourself skeptical at times? Are you the kind of person that masses see and put your fingers in the scars of Jesus? If I can do this, then I'll believe. You know what amazes me about when when Thomas wasn't there the first time and and then they say, man, you miss it. Jesus was here. I don't believe it. Only way I'm going to believe if I can put my, my fingers in the scars and, and, and where the wounds were. When he does finally meet up with Jesus, what amazed me, Jesus would say, Thomas, how dare you? He says, you need proof here. You struggle with doubt? Jesus wanted, chose, and used Thomas. And Jesus wants and chooses and will use you as well. See, this is important for us to to get into our heads, guys. As a church, as a community, as a follower of Jesus, we've got to understand Jesus is for people, period. He's for people. Jesus is for the person with the anger issues, people with doubt issues, people that speak before they think, people that struggle with their sexual identity, people that's for the outcast, people that, like, like the, that are the worst of the worst sinners, people that seem like they'll never get their act together. Pete, Jesus is for people, period. Period. And my dad, he's for you. You know, I could go through the rest of the names that list that Mark gives, but the point I'm trying to get you to see is this. Jesus wanted and chose this group of guys who were considered complete outcasts to the religious leaders. Jesus wanted them, he chose them, and he used them to initiate a worldwide movement. Man, look at what we've got here. What could Jesus do with us if we were... If we were to decide, I'm actually going to buy in and be discipled. 
Jesus chose and used those. The ones prone to failure. The ones that made their share of mistakes. The ones with horrible attitudes. Come on. Those that would deny him. Those that would have lapses in judgment over and over. Jesus chose them, wanted them, used them. Look at it. Jesus spent his only years on this earth pouring into and believing into these imperfect people. Get this. This is hard for me to believe at times. And that's some of you maybe. They were his plan A. We are his plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. We are his plan. Imperfect people with broken, messed up lives, jacked up, that when God transformed them from the inside, people look on and said, I can tell they've been with Jesus. Or, or they may say this, I don't know where they've been, but something has changed about them. And then when they come to ask you, oh, it's Jesus. I thank you, thank you, Pastor Ben. Jesus wanted them. He chose these men because they were willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. And he transformed into walking revolutionaries. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus wants you. Jesus chose you. And Jesus has called you to himself. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. He loved us. Long ago, did I get... Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Guess what that means? He chose us. He chose us. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He chose us. He loved us. And look at Romans 8, 29, 30. For God knew his people in advance. And he what? He chose them to become like his son so that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he what? Called them to come to him. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Discipleship starts with an awareness that you are wanted and chosen by Jesus. And I promise these next points are not as long if you're getting worried. Number two. Discipleship continues when you respond to Jesus' invitation. Jesus gives us an invitation. He says, I want you. I choose you. Look at Mark 3.13 again. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside, called himself, called himself those he wanted to be his close companions, so they went with him. The Greek Therefore, called for, for called them. He, and one of them is proskelo. It means to call to, to bid to come, to call to oneself. Jesus was saying, come, come, guys. I want you. It's here for the taking. They would choose. And he says, here's your choice. Stay with the crowd. That's good. But remember, we said this last week. Good is always the enemy of great. You want great, you've got to climb. It's going to take some effort on your part. At some point, you have to say, I leave the crowd, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'll be honest, there are too many people that are Christian in name only. 
Here's what I mean by that. They're not really trying to follow Jesus. They're not really interested in being a disciple of Jesus. Why? Because they really don't want to be inconvenienced. They really don't want to have, they've got some things they don't want to have to change about themselves. Come on, I'm talking to myself too, guys. I'm telling you, but with the anatomy of a disciple, you have to come to a point where you have to respond, you know what, Jesus, I choose you. Over my desires, over my wants, over my preferences, I choose you. And if that means I have to climb, then I've got to climb. The third thing about discipleship, discipleship grows in the environment of a relationship with Jesus. You want your relation, you, you want to grow as a disciple? And it comes to a relationship and developing a relationship with Jesus. Look at Mark 3, 14. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside, called himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. So they went up with him. He appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends so that he could send them out to preach. He wanted, he invited these ordinary, unschooled, flawed men into a personal relationship. There's some bare basics for building a relationship. This is in life, but it's also with Jesus. Here's four building blocks to building a relationship when it comes, comes to Jesus or even your, your mate. Spend time together. You want to have a better relationship with Jesus? Spend time together. Second, Spend time together. Go through trials together. I'm going to tell you, you go through a trial. Me and, me and my wife have gone through some trials. It has made us stronger. Go through that trial. Allow Jesus to come into that and go through it with you. Thirdly, grow in trust together. Grow in trust. And fourth, celebrate together. Celebrate I, you know, I had someone tell me, I was asking ask them, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to call them out because I love them too much. And they, I said, how did the doctor report go? Well, this, this is good, but I said, no, no, no. Let's celebrate the small victories. Let's don't do the but. Let's leave the but out of this. Let's celebrate this part right here. And when you celebrate even the small victories with Jesus, hey, yeah, I know the doctor said that, but man, Look what God has already done here. I'm going to celebrate this. And you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Men and least, we celebrate the smallest of victories. Man, we celebrate paying off a $100 credit card bill. Just as much as we would if we, when, not if, when we pay off our house. We celebrate the small victories. Celebrate them. Discipleship grows in the environment of a relationship. And lastly, discipleship thrives when you join Jesus in his mission. It thrives. Jesus just didn't just invite these men, hey guys, pray a prayer with me and get saved and then go about life as usual. He didn't just invite them. He, he, into, he gave them purpose. He gave them a calling. He said, now you're apostles. Go preach. Go out. Go do something. He gave them a, pers- a purpose in lives. And that because they joined Jesus in his mission, the trajectory of their lives was forever changed. Forever. Look at verse 14 again. I think it's verse 14. Yeah. 
He appointed the 12, whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends so that he could send them out to preach, have authority to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. See, being a disciple of Jesus isn't just knowing a bunch of facts or having knowledge. It's actually following him. And when he says go, you actually go. You remember Jesus' words when he first met the young fisherman, Simon and Andrew. Come, follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. I'm closing. Here's what I love about this encounter, and I think it speaks volumes about Jesus' purpose for us. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me. I'll make you more knowledgeable. Hey, follow me. I'll make you more spiritual. Hey, follow me. I'll make you a better person. Follow me. I'll make you a better dad. I'll make you healthy. I'll make you wealthy. Jesus didn't even say this. Follow me and I'll make you whole or complete. Jesus looked at these fishermen by trade and said, I know up to this point, your life has revolved around fishing. It's everything you are. It's, it's your identity. Up to this point, you thought that it, that's who you were, and why wouldn't you? That's what you've been told. That's what you've been led to believe. But guys, if you will just follow me, if you will trust me, if you will learn who I am through a relationship with me, you will see how much you and people matter to me. And if you can understand that and begin to follow me, I will make you a new kind of fisherman. I will give your life more purpose than what it has right now. And while these young men couldn't fully understand what Jesus was saying to them, they knew this, that this man Jesus saw them differently than anybody else in their life. That when this man Jesus looked at them, he saw someone with purpose, someone with destiny, someone with greatness in them. And nobody had ever saw that before. That's why they left everything. When you follow the lives of these men and the others listed in the 12, by the end of the Gospels, these ordinary, extremely flawed men have been transformed. And their lives no longer revolved around fishing, work, hobbies, or careers. Their lives revolved around the things that they saw matter to their rabbi Jesus. People. People matter to Jesus. And so their purpose went from catching fish to catching the hearts and men of people for Jesus. Men and women. See, here's what we've got to understand. Jesus didn't call these young men away from their jobs or their careers because there was something necessarily wrong with their jobs or careers. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in the fishing business. There's nothing wrong with being in the construction business, healthcare, education, sales business, insurance business, or factory business. But Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear from the very beginning that as one of my disciples, we are in the people business. People matter to me. True it, Kath. If I get Bob or Bubba, maybe they didn't get my hand when I said I was closing. And some of y'all got worried when they didn't come up to play. <laughs> Truett Caffey, founder of Chick-fil-A, said this in an interview one time. 
We are not in the chicken business. We're in the people business. That is part of the anatomy of a disciple. To understand we are in the people business. Regardless of what industry you work in, regardless if you're retired, regardless of whether you flip burgers or, or put fries, regardless of whether you run a cashier uh, at work or work at a factory, you're a CEO of a company, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in the people business. I've said this a thousand times. You have never locked eyes with someone that does not matter to the heart of God. For too long, for too long, the church had been very guilty of pointing out other people's sins that weren't like ours and making a big deal about those. And then we consider them less than because, well, our sin is not as bad as theirs. You have never locked eyes with anyone that does not matter to the heart of God. I don't care about their ethnicity. I don't care where they come from. I don't care about their history, their past, their political party. You have never locked eyes with someone that does not matter to the heart of God. So I'm very careful to criticize because I have to ask God remind me that's your son that's your daughter there that I'm about to lay into just because we don't see eye to eye we're in the people business I'm trying to choose my words carefully if you wonder what I'm doing So I've been criticized at times for not being more political from the pulpit. For not stating, why don't you say this? Because I'm not in the political business. I'm in the people business. And it's hard to win somebody to Christ if they're so angry at you because that's all they see anymore. That's why you don't see a sign in my yard supporting anybody. Because if there's a sign in my yard, it should say people. That's who I'm for. People. I'm for God because I know how much God has transformed me. This jerk of a man. Come on, this guy that would fight at the drop of a hat. This guy that didn't like people, period. And he transformed me. I cheapen the grace of God when I look at others and say there's no hope for them. I cheapen the grace of God when I look and say, oh, look at, look at. No, no, remember, he changed you. I love it. Was it Paul? I don't remember what it said. But he names off all these sins and he says, remember, that was some of you. You've never locked eyes. Because you and I, if we're going to be disciples, to follow means to fish. To fish. You know, I've learned in my fishing, Chris, that to ignore the skeptics. Because I know everybody don't fish 
for what I fish for. And I I know the fish that God has called Wattsbar Church to catch. We've been criticized at times for the way, for the bait we use. Let me say it that way. For the bait we use. But I just think people don't realize the type of fish we're trying to catch. See, you, you're going to hear, rarely will you ever hear anybody, hey, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for, what, what's the worst fish? What's the fish that you, that's full of mud that you can't hardly eat? Carp. Yeah, the, only, the, only, the only time I've been with Stacy and Ben for carp is when they were shooting it with an arrow, and that's just so they could kill something. We don't save them, don't eat them. But I know if that's the, I'm the carp in this. Yet Jesus wanted and chose me. So what else am I going to go after? The carps of this world. People that feel like nobody else wants them. People that feel like they're abandoned. People feel like everybody else has gave up hope on them. Even family members. We want you. And I promise you, I will not let Ben or Stacy shoot you with an arrow. Stand with me across this room.